Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Um, when you think of grandpas, you think of like people that are, but they're looking a lot younger these days. Would you like to, to meet my grandson? His name is Aesop Holiday Puckett. It's hard for me to say the last name of my daughter has changed. But we were up all night, and thanks to Pete's coffee and uh, your prayers, uh, we have a, a new baby, and we're really excited. But take it easy on calling me Grandpa, okay? even though I've looked like one for quite some time. We're continuing our series titled Travelers. And we started out with Abraham and Sarah. And we made it all the way to their grandson, uh, Jacob. Made it to his son Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob has his name changed to Israel, where we get the namesake for the whole nation. That eventually will be. But today we're going to look at their grandson, a guy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph is known for his dreams, correct? Joseph is known as the guy who had these dreams, and then God used all of these incredible circumstances to prove out his will and desire. And so this morning, when we're going to talk about dreams, I want you to pay close attention because many of you have dreams as well, don't you? I had dreams of uh, um, being a lot of things in life, but they were just dreams. And there's a difference in dreams. There's the late night pizza dream. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up lactose intolerant, and so that meant that I kind of had... I was crazy at night and would have terrible dreams until they finally figured out I was allergic to milk. Um, my mom was relieved to find out that I wasn't demon-possessed, but, <laughs> but she was happy about it. Now, <clears throat> there's other dreams where it, it's sort of a combination of something weird and all of the events of the day sort of replayed. You ever have those dreams? I'm sure you have. And then there's the, the dreams that you get when you have a fever, and those are terrible. And I, I think that most Stephen King books were uh, inspired by one sleepless night uh, in bed with a fever. But then, then there are the, the, the dreams of the will, our design. The dreams that we have in our hearts where we say, you know, I would just love to do this. I would love to see this happen one day. And when you're younger, you seem to have a lot more dreams. It takes years of advanced living to kill those dreams, right? Those of you who've lived a certain number of years, you're like, amen, brother, amen. You can just kill those dreams. But there, we have those personal desires. Sometimes we're able to make it. And we hear stories. We love these stories, by the way, of people who had this desire in their heart and they pursued it with everything that they have and it turned out well. 
But there's all of these other stories that we don't hear about of people who tried and tried and did their best and tried to live out their dream, but it never happened, right? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me in here. But there are dreams that come to us from God, and Scripture is full of that. Now, I've pondered this, tried to read as much as I possibly can, but it seems that in the Older Testament, even in the New Testament, there was a more susceptibility to dreams. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who puts much emphasis on what happens in my brain at night. Sometimes I wake up and I think, oh, I'd like to go back to sleep. That was a really great dream. I can't believe I looked that cool and I was that rich. But most of the time, I just shed them off. However, I'm married to someone who is an interpreter of dreams. And so in any time during our family, you will find conversations about what happened last night in my sleep. Because it's important. It was important back then. It was a way of God communicating to people. Now, here's the big difference. If it's left up to you to fulfill the dream, say you have a dream of eating, you know, the most Baskin-Robbins scoops of ice cream, well, God bless you. I think 2021 is the year to go for that dream. That's up to you. It's up to your will. Maybe your natural talent combination of which may bring you to that point. Sometimes it's just the pursuit of the dream that means a lot. But I, wanna, but I want us to focus in on today the, the, the idea that God has plans for each one of us. God has unique plans for each of, a, each of us, and he has a way of communicating that to us. But there's a, a progression that takes place. There's the revelation of the dream. Okay, there's a revelation of the dream. It comes to you, you you don't really know exactly what it means, but it seems like it means something, and so you take it to God. And if you're watching here today, and you're here in the fellowship with us, and you think, you know, I'm just, I got, you know, I lost a bet, and so I had to come to church or watch it online, I understand. You may not be a Christ follower, God follower, and you're just thinking, you know, come on, guys, this dream stuff, really? all this healy-feely stuff. Let me just give you you a little insight. God is not bound by anything, anything but his own will. And God can take great efforts to communicate to human beings any way that he wants to, at any time, any fashion. That's his game. He can speak to you through an impression of the heart that turns out to be, you know, like you, I don't know, many of you have experienced this before where you just get an impression of a friend on your mind and you can't shake it. And so you call them up on the phone to ask how they're doing. You find out they need prayer. They're going through a rough time. Those things, God's able to communicate those things to us without a text Without an email, thank God, I'm so glad that God doesn't send emails because I'm so terrible at answering them. To me, it's just like a, you know, I mean, granted, some emails are really good, but some people are insomniacs and they write long emails. God doesn't need that. 
God can use everything available that you and I have within our lives, within the structure of our minds, and the capability of who we are. God has the ability to reach and to speak to that. And the reason I say this is important is because this is what church is all about. We're all about being in a relationship with God. It's not just coming and showing up, burning some incense, although I think we probably should add some incense. It would uh, make the room smell a lot better. I do at home. I think it's a good idea. But whatever you think may be a religious posturing, we at the core are people who have been drawn in by this idea of this relationship with God, which is powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful. And so if you're considering God or you're considering all of this and you're thinking, I don't really know, it could be just very superstitious, stick around and see what God will do. Because God took someone from nowhere, from a family that had a very particular promise and made him great in a time of desperate need. And he started it all with a dream. Let's say our affirmation this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art. And may his will be done in me today. And I receive it by faith in... All right, good. All right, when dreams die. <clears throat> Genesis chapter, we're only going to cover Genesis chapter 37 through 50 today. I hope you pack a lunch. There will be an intermission. We'll take up two offerings today. I've got grandkids. I don't mind if they go to a state college, though. That's fine. All right. Verse 1, Genesis 31. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now, this was the land of promise. They had been living there. And this is the account of Jacob's family. Joseph, a young man of 17, he was just 17. Uh, you know what I mean. Okay, um was tending the flocks with his father, his brothers, and sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. These were, daughter, these were the other wives that Jacob had. His favorite was, uh, we'll read about in just a moment. But his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about him. He was kind of a snitch. His brothers are out there working. The, youngest, the younger one comes home. And he gives dad a bad report. He sort of snitches on them. Verse 3. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him all the more. This is the household dynamic. 
Parents, just a little rule. By, by the way, the, the Bible is very open and plain about how it tells the story. It doesn't, it doesn't make Jacob a perfect dad. King David was not a good father. Jacob, I think, is a terrible father because he gives a pronouncement later on toward the end of the book of Genesis about his sons, and he just has all of these terrible things to say about them. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know, did the apple not fall far from the tree, or was it the mom's fault? I don't know. But something's going on with your sons. But he favored one son over the other's. That's one of the reasons that you don't pick favorites in the family. Now, privately, you may enjoy others more than (laughs) the other kids, but you would never, ever think for a moment that you would love one over the others. But he did, and you see the strife that takes place. You know, if you've ever been tempted, parents, to say, I wish you were more like your sibling." Don't do it. You'll teach that other child to hate that sibling because they're obviously favored and they're obviously better than you. So he had a dream. He was a tattletale. He was the favorite. It was a recipe for what's about to happen. And he said to them, this is the dream, listen to the dream I had. Like like these guys want to hear it. We were binding sheaves, picking up, grain out of the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Here's one of the stalks of grain. Mine rose up, and all of yours bowed down to mine. It gets better. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So if you thought they couldn't hate him anymore, they could, and they did. You know, we're told that he had a a multicolored coat, right, that his dad made for him. Uh, Just a great song by Dolly Parton. You know, you guys heard that song, That Coat of Many Colors? My mama made for me. It's just a great song. We don't know if it was really a coat that was variegated with a lot of colors, but we literally it meant that it was a coat with big, long sleeves and probably had ornate colors on it. It was a coat of distinction, a tunic among everybody else, okay? Now, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. I mean, quit while you're ahead, Joseph. (laughs) Quit while you're behind. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, he had 11 brothers. He had a moon and the sun, his mom and dad. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. 
Jacob had received dreams and visions from God. He had seen God at the house of God, that is, he named it Bethel, and the angels ascending and descending upon this ladder. He had had those experiences, so he put it in the back of his mind. Good principle. If you have a God radar, a Jesus radar, and you understand that God can move supernaturally. He can move within your dreams. He can communicate and so forth. If you have that radar up and running, then when you hear stuff like this, it's a blip on the radar that you pay attention to. It may not be anything. It could be my son who needs to learn some hard lessons here, who believes a, a great deal in himself, or this could be God, smart move from someone who has experienced the same thing. All right. He was a favored son. He was loved by his father. He was loathed by his brothers. And the reasons for their hatred were so obvious, okay? And he enjoyed the relationship that he had with his dad, but his dreams got him into trouble. So here's what happened. His brothers were out in the field taking care of the flock. So his dad says, go check on him. Go see about him again. And so when they saw him coming, one of the brothers said, hey, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Yeah, you know you've got some rough kids when they're planning to kill one of the other siblings. And so Reuben, one of the older brothers, hears about it and he says, no, 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 don't do that. We can't, we can't do that. We, I mean, we, it'll destroy our father. And so they threw him in a pit, and Reuben left, and some uh, merchants came along, and they sold their brother with the nice jacket. They took the jacket off of him, by the way. And they sold him to some merchants who were heading toward Egypt. I mean, that's cold-blooded. And when Reuben returned, he said, what have you done? Where's my? Our dad's going to be beside himself. And one of them, <laughs> with a great idea, said, well, let's kill a goat over here. Let's get some blood. We'll put it on his jacket. We'll tell him that a wild animal, we found the jacket, a wild animal must have got to him. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. They told the dad, and the dad was heartbroken and busted by all of this. This chapter starts out with a dream. Brothers were bowing down to me. Father and mother and brothers were bowing down to me. I'm the one with the coat with the big sleeves. I couldn't find any in my closet, by the way. I, but that was it. If... You were Joseph at this point when you found yourself on the back of a caravan headed toward Egypt, no cool jacket, no brothers that you want to count as brothers, no family, and now you are being traded as a slave. Imagine that. Being traded as a slave. Whatever dream you had about people bowing down to you, whatever dream that you had 
up to that point is dashed. And so often is the case. So often is the case, even with God, especially with God. It's been pointed out by many authors who have studied this intensively. And I'll say to you this, that sometimes when God gives you a dream, you have this excitement about it. Maybe it's a mission. Maybe it's going into the mission field. Maybe it's, it's changing your community. It's maybe it's helping out and building an organization that betters the lives of the people in your community, whatever it may be. Oftentimes, that dream will die because there is a certain part of you that says, I need to produce the outcome of this dream. And God wants you to know and wants the world to know that he is the one behind it. There is a close connection between sovereignty, which is God's being all-powerful, being completely in control. There is a connection between that and the progression of your dream. And so his dream died. And many of you, your dreams died too, right? You, you meet that perfect person and you, you think, this is it. This is the greatest person in the world. I'll never love anybody else. This is the best person for me. And you get married and two months later, the dream dies. Okay, you're all serious. That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> okay, maybe I cut too close to the bone. Sorry about that. My bad. Your dream's not dead, it's just the sleep. Okay. But it was important that this dream was dying in Joseph's eyes. Because without that, he wouldn't fully understand that this dream, this plan, had come from God. Period. This was God's will, and Joseph needed to know it as well. Not just a happenstance, a dream in the middle of the night. This was God's will. So, here's what happens. He's sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Uh, he was the owner of Pottery Barn. Maybe you've heard of it. But it was earlier on. It was just a Potiphar. Okay. And he became the captain of, well, it was, uh, Potiphar was captain of Pharaoh's uh, palace guard. And so, Joseph was so self-controlled and such a good servant, he puts him in charge of his whole household. And he was 17, and he was good-looking, and, you know, he kind of had that nice dark hair and uh, was a nice-looking guy. But there's a problem. Potiphar had a wife, and Potiphar's wife really didn't adhere to some of the marital conventions of the day. And so she was constantly trying to get him into bed, into her bed. And he kept refusing, kept refusing, until finally she grabbed him by his tunic. You're not getting out of here, buddy. And he runs out and leaves his clothes behind. And so she calls in the guard and said, look how your terrible servant has treated me. He, look, he's, he's naked. He left his garment here. And so they throw him in jail. If you thought your dream was gone, your dream is really gone now. But in God's economy, not so. In God's economy, it is 
preparing or preparation for the dream itself. Because he was going to be someone who needed to be trusted. He's somebody that could handle authority. At the level that he would be raised to, he is someone who would have to have intimate knowledge of human beings and a relationship with God. It was it, it was part and parcel to what he would be doing. So you might think, what kind of lesson is he going to learn in that place? Well, he learned a lot of lessons. He learned a lot about, uh, you know, intrigue within the palace. He learned about people's power. And he learned about being faithful because as he was faithful, he was promoted. Young people, let me just tell you this. A bad attitude and a sulky look and a lack of motivation puts a mark on your head that says, do not hire this person. Do you know that? A smile, a good attitude, you don't have to be that smart. I'm a perfect example. I know. Learning to have a good attitude in a job that you don't really like. You know, most of the jobs that we start out with in our lives, we're, we're not really crazy about. That's why we start out at those jobs so that we'll work hard to do something else because we think, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But it's in those places that you learn if you pour yourself into it, you give yourself to it, and you're not complaining and saying, I'm such a victim, I'm such a victim. Can you believe what my brothers did? Can you believe what they did? And it is so bad, and I'm here, stuck in here. I mean, come on. Let's put that guy in charge. He seems to have perspective. You go clean the toilets. You're on KP. Go. Very, very important not to waste a moment of your time and a moment of God's time, even if it is what you would see as menial tasks beneath you and beneath the dream that you thought God had given you. Nobody is handed great responsibility without preparation, right? <laughs> Unless you're a parent <laughs> or a grandparent. But for the most part, preparation comes before the dream. So, he's in the, in the jail. And he gets to know a couple of the inmates. One of them is the cupbearer for the king. That's a very important job. It's a person who would drink the, the, the uh, king's wine, you know, because people like to poison the king. And so he had the great job of, hey, wine bearer, you have my wine? Uh, it'll be right there. Bring it down real quick. And, and if he lives, he's like, oh, king, this is some good stuff. Really, it's great. But he became a very trusted person. I don't know what happened, but he got sent to the stockades. And the other was the baker. And they both had dreams. And so Joseph was an interpreter of dreams, as, as well as many of the Hebrew people were, people that God had used. They were in tune with God on all different sorts of levels. 
And so he has this dream. They have this dream. One, he says, look, wine guy, wine taster, whatever, sommelier, you, you're going to be restored back to your job next to the king. The baker's all, wow, that's great. And so he just tells it like it is to the baker. Uh, they're going to cut your head off in a couple of days, about three, actually. You're not going to make it. And it happens exactly like he said. But he told the cupbearer, he said, remember me and, you know, give me a good word so I get out of here. But the cupbearer forgot him and it went on. But here's what's interesting. Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh, as far as we know, was not in pursuit of Yahweh. The God who would reveal himself as I am that I am later on to a guy by the name of Moses. But this was the same God that called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the same God. And we're not told that Pharaoh had any relationship with him, which is very telling because God has access to everybody on the planet. Not just the Bible thumpers, not just the hallelujahs. He has connection to everyone. And he gave him a dream, just like it happened in the book of Daniel. Okay? When Daniel had a, when the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel was called in because he could interpret the dreams. A very handy, if you're a good interpreter of dreams, very handy, uh, especially if you're in Egypt or Babylon. All right. Now, he had a dream. In the first dream, he sees seven cows devouring seven fat cows. The second dream, he sees seven thin heads of grain devouring seven healthy ones. He's bummed out. It's such a big dream. He says, is there anybody that can help? And the cupbearer who stands next to the king, he says, oh, I know a guy. There's a guy who told us our dreams, and it came true in prison. Okay, bring him here. And so he told him the dreams. He said, listen, here's, here's what's going on. You're going to have seven years that of abundance. It, it's just going to be bonkers. You're going to have plenty of food. You're going to fill up all the, your storehouses. But the next seven years, this is a 14 years, the next seven years will be eaten up by drought and famine. And so you'll want to store up. So my suggestion is you find people who will come in and be able to administrate this and store up grain because though you're going to have abundance, that abundance will sustain you through the time of leanness that is coming. He was so impressed with this prisoner, okay, from Canaan. He said, all right, you're the guy I'm going to appoint. And I'm going to set you up as the second leader in all of the land. Uh, you're only, you're only report to me. You have charge as governor and ruler over Egypt, and you answer to me. I'm still your boss, but you have control of it all. You see, the character that God had developed and the gifts that God had given him during that time that could be seen as discouragement were actually the very elements that allowed Pharaoh to see. To see. You see, God will put people in your life who can see your abilities, your dedication, 
your uniqueness. You don't have to go around and flaunt it all the time. You don't. God knows, and the right people will know. By the way, let me go back to anybody, but especially you young people who are coming up in the world. And and I know that this is a very discouraging time, very discouraging for you. But let let me just tell you this. Do not shrug off the advancement and the help of older people within your profession, older people in your fellowship or your community. Because I don't know what it is, but there is something within a person who is older and more formed in their character and in their life that when they see someone who is maybe like them years ago, or they see some talent there, and they know it's good, and they see the character there, they will do everything they can to get behind you and to make sure that you're successful. And if you're really good, they want you on their team. They don't want you on someone else's team. You get that? Young people, pay attention. Put your head up. Don't complain. Work hard. Be dependable and watch people help you get to the place that you need to be. You're not some special case that you've been ripped off and nothing. Listen, stories abound in humanity of people who have been dealt a dirty hand. But the question is, what are you going to do with that hand and what will God do with it? Make no mistake. Make no mistake, the times of trial, the times of preparation are precious, and they lead you to that point to where you begin not only preparing for the dream, but you begin living in the dream. And so it was, so it was for our friend Joseph. He began to live the dream. And so he stored up grain, so much so, that he stopped counting. There was an overabundance. And sure enough, at the end of the seven years of great plenty and prosperity, the drought hit, famine hit, and everybody was busted and broke. It was a, there were no Walmarts. (laughs) You know, the closest that we've seen as to a famine is, where's the toilet paper? Here's the famine. Have we run out of trees? Ah, what's going on? They tilled the land. They they planted the seeds. It's this long process that certain things can go wrong, and you and your family will be not only broke, but you'll be destitute, and you'll be hungry, and you'll need more. And so people started coming to him. And he would sell them grain, sell them grain, sell them grain, even making his boss and their country even more wealthy and more powerful. God would use him to even bless that country. So what happens? Eventually, Jacob and his family in Canaan get bummed out. We've run out of food. We've got some goats and stuff, but if there's no grain, we can't sustain life. So they go to him, and his brothers, okay, show up, 
And all of a sudden, Joseph recognizes them. They probably just had some regular robe, you know, work clothes on. Maybe they got dressed up a little bit, put the nice pair of overalls on, came out of the field. But they didn't recognize him because he was all probably dolled up in that whole crazy Egyptian look. I mean, we, you look at all the hieroglyphics, you look at the, the artistry, and you know, who knows, he probably had some big hats, some big, you know, dark eye makeup on there, some weird thing on the chin setting there. What dost thou wantest? And he recognized his brothers. And the dream was reminded in his mind. A dream that had no doubt died. I'm living in a different land. I got a pretty sweet job. Um, I miss my family, but this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, everything that he had seen in that dream had come to fruition, and there were his brothers there. And so he inquired, do you have another brother? Yeah, we do. There's a younger one. His name's Benjamin. That was the, from his mother. She had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And so he inquired about them. And so he gave them some food. He said, I want you to do is, is to go back and bring back your brother. Well, we can't do that. My father's old. He want, doesn't want the kid to go away. So he goes back. While they're gone, they paid with some silver, and he puts the silver, has someone put the silver back in their bags, and they get home, and they're terrified. They're like, oh, my gosh. We've stolen. It's like we've stolen. They're going to kill all of us. And so they eventually tell the dad. The dad's, I don't know, Jacob becomes very melodramatic in his older age, and he's like, if you don't bring back my son, I'm going to die. I won't want to live anymore. I mean, that's a good kid. Here's what happens. They go back. They tell them, look, we've got this silver in our things here. And finally, Joseph can't hold back anymore. And in chapter 45, he is unable to hold back his tears and so he sends all of the attendants out of the room except for his family, and he just loses it. And he reveals his identity to his brothers. Now, if you're his brothers, and you were the one who was saying, let's kill him, and the other one who says, well, let's sell him, and he's sold off into prison, you're thinking, uh-oh, what I have dreamed my dream, my nightmare is coming upon me right now. It's over. This is the day of justice against me. But it wasn't. He says, you know, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Don't fear me. Don't go back and get my father. Get all of the people, over 60 people together. Bring them back. They told Pharaoh about it. Pharaoh got excited and he said, listen, you give your family the best in the land. We'll send you into the land of Goshen. 
and you can have the best part of the land, nothing to be spared for your family. Bring them in. We're going to take care of all of them. And so it was. You see, here's the picture. God gave this guy a dream because he was a part of the family of promise. And God has a plan of moving that family's agenda forward. That's why within the church, we we believe that God has called us to move forward God's mission in the world. And so he will take different people, different of us, and, and raise us up in different places, not for your own benefit, although that is a part of it. Having a meaningful life that God gives you is so powerful. It's such a reward. But he was moving his agenda forward with his family. And now, hindsight, Joseph sees it. And his family begins to flourish. And, well, his dad, Jacob, dies. He's done. And they bury him. They spend all the time of mourning. And now his brothers get worried again. And they say, look, you know what? Now that dad's dad's died, maybe he's going to kill us. Maybe he's going to kill us. And so they show up to him. And they say, man, listen. Listen, let me read it for, for you here in Genesis chapter 50. He said, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. <laughs> he put us in the will. Don't kill him. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I wrote that down. <clears throat> This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. There he was, lifted up, and his brothers were down. In the world economy of justice and payback, he's got them right where he wants them. Let's see, put your head right on that post, because all 11 of them are coming off. My dad's dead, and I can execute exact vengeance upon you. But he wept. He wept. Why? Because because he had been on this journey with God. He had been in this dream that God had given him. He had insight and perspective. And that is one of the things. If you're not a Christ follower, if you're just sort of rejecting God, let me just tell you, you're going to miss out on all the cool supernatural stuff and insight that God wants to give you. You're going to miss out on all the cool insight and stuff that God wants to give you. 
And if you want to go your life that way, fine, but you're going to miss out on cool moments like this where you're able to see God's perspective and see things differently, view things from a real perspective of justice. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What did God say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You intended me harm, but God intended it for me for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He spoke to them kindly and reassured them. If God gives you a dream, it's not just for you. If God gives you a dream, he plans on moving his mission forward. And his mission will include this type of calling card, forgiveness and restoration. His brothers could not pay it back. They couldn't make any restitution to make this right. How will they make this right? They can't. It's already done. By the way, most of the things that have happened in your past, in your history, you can't make right. The people who messed you over can't make them right. That's where the principle of forgiveness comes in. Because they can't make it right. So you have to to, to make a concerted effort that says this. I recognize what you've done. And it stinks. And yes, it was wrong. I recognize that. I'm not going to color code it. I'm not going to whitewash it. It is, it is bad. But there's another principle at work here. What you meant for evil, God used for good. Don't forget that about God. What other people intend for evil, what other people intend to, for harm for your life and for other people, God can use it for good. And so what was the lesson and the perspective that he learned? He learned this. He says, okay, I'm going to show you mercy because you cannot restore one thing that you've taken away from me. Only God can. And God already has. And God has taken care of thousands, if not over a million people have been saved because of this. And I see that I play a part in it. And so do you. And don't be afraid of me. If you're, you know, you say, like, again, you know, I, I want to talk to those of you who don't follow Christ, who, are, who have no real God radar going on. Let me just tell you this. <clears throat> this is true for you, just as it is for Christians. You need to learn to forgive people and move on. You've got to put them in a place and say, okay, I recognize what you've done. It's bad. I recognize that. Boom. Okay, but now I'm going to commit it to God and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to put it in that category and I'm going to keep it there. And every time that it comes up and tries to remind me of this and beat me down and say things aren't fair and it should have been different and all of that garbage that keeps you in the can, let me just tell you, God will use that in your life. You don't even have to be a Christ follower to learn to forgive people. It brings freedom in your life. But for us as believers, let me just tell you what, it's a family value, it's a calling card, it's a brand, and you don't get out of it. I don't get out of it. Because of him and what he has done in the way that he restores people and uses people for the betterment of everyone, even themselves. 
As believers, we have no choice. You can't continue to hold a drug grudge. You need to go home. You need to write those things that have bugged you, the people that you haven't forgiven them, admit that they have done these things wrong, forgive them and continue to forgive them and move on and keep that there because that is our brand, that is what we do, that is who we are. We'll never be separated from that as long as we follow Christ. Never. We'll never be separated from that identity. If you're a dreamer, I pray this morning that you have God's dream. That you're able to hear radio free heaven playing. Beep, beep. Little glitch on the radar. I'll pay attention to that. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what God's going to do. Because, see, God's dreams, when they become your dreams, change lives save lives, and make a difference in your world. If you don't know Christ this morning, let me just tell you this. You need to get right with God. You need to call on his name and ask for forgiveness and, and just give it to him. You're home, you're here, whatever it is, you can just privately in your heart Call out and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And if you do that and you're here in this room after the service, I'd like you to come meet with me. I'd like to hear about it. We can be social distanced. We can pray for you. But I want to I see that. I want to know that. Because every day that we move down the timeline of our life is critical. Today is just as critical as yesterday. Today is just as critical as tomorrow. Make the right move. Father, we thank you for our time. Thank you for these lovely folks. And thank you for such incredible stories, true stories. God, I pray that your heart and your kingdom would be on our radar every day and we would be searching and listening for you. And Lord, that we would learn to dream the dreams that change a world. We ask this in Jesus' name because there's no greater name on heaven and earth. There's no name in which people can call upon and be saved and forgiven, just like Joseph's brothers. Bless your name, Lord. And all his people said, I mean, would you please stand? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.